really enjoyed this series. Um, I feel like it's been a great um, few weeks of us just getting to the basics. I think sometimes being raised in church, I was raised in church my whole life, it's easy for us or easy for me to forget that um, we've got a lot of new people. Over 3,000 people have given their life to Jesus since we've launched this church, and um, just here locally, and another 5,000 plus in Pakistan when I preached a revival out there. And um, But I, I, I think if we're not careful that we make a lot of assumptions, like we assume that everybody knows. How many of you were raised in church? Anybody raised in church? Raise your hand. How many of you that were not? I guess that would be the others. Yeah. Come on. So there's a lot of us, it's, it's like, yes, I was, but when we were raised in church, we take a lot of things for granted. Um, I think there are some things that we assume that are true or not necessarily true, like that generations coming up know about Jesus, but I'm, I'm amazed more and more about those that don't know about Jesus. They don't have a clue. You can't just say Jonah and the well. They're like, Jonah and the what? The whale? Like, like free willy whale? Like what, are, like, what are you talking about? Orca whale? Like, they don't know about the story of Gideon. And uh, they don't know the story about Joshua and the, the wall and Jericho and all the David and Goliath. They just, they don't know. There's a generation now that is not um, familiar with the things that we grew up knowing and understanding. And so even as the church grows, as we move forward, the only way we're going to stand is if we know what we're standing on. And so we're called as a church to be the salt and light, but it's real hard to do that if we don't have a theological and biblical foundation. Um, because then what we do is we say truth is relative, that we can make it up or we can decide what truth is, but you can't decide what truth is. You have to discover truth. Just because you're a professor doesn't mean you can decide what is or isn't truth. God has already decided as a believer, as a person, my responsibility then is to make sure that I go discover the truth that God has set in place. And as a church, we must realize that God is the one that instituted the church. He's the one that designed it and created the church. We talked the last couple of weeks about how uh, when Jesus was talking to the disciples in Matthew uh, 16, he was saying, hey, who do you say that I am? In other words, who do you define me as in your life? And they said, you're the, well, Peter, I mean, love Peter. Peter's the disciple that walks on water and sinks, cuts off a guard's ear. Jesus puts it back, denies Jesus, but then preaches one of the greatest revivals. I, I, I can relate to, to Peter. Sometimes he's full of faith. Sometimes he's full of fear. Sometimes he does what's right. Sometimes he does what's wrong. If uh, I ever relate to that, and Paul says, I do the thing that I don't want to do, and the thing that I do want to do, I can't seem to do it. And so you have Peter who is defining Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. And then Jesus d defines Peter. So once, once you accurately define who Jesus is according to how Jesus defines himself, not just a good prophet, he is the Son of God. 
all God, all man. And so then once that happens, then Jesus begins to tell Peter, you're the rock, you're the Petros. And upon this, he's talking about the great revelation, the big rock, the church, the little rock, both together, the great revelation of who Jesus really is, and then the revelation of my identity in Christ. There is nothing that the gates of hell can do to stop believers who understand that, who stand on that, and move forward and advance God's kingdom with that. And so it's important for us to understand that there is a movement, it's called the church, and it's not an institution, it's not religion, it's a relationship with a God who loves us, who gave his son for us. And then with that, now he, if you think about Christianity, Jesus, all God, all man, picks 12 men to follow him. That's what he started with at the beginning, 12 disciples. But they're not the ones that you and I would have picked. They're fishermen. They're not even the best and the brightest. They, they're, they're the ones, in, in fact, one translation said these were ordinary, unschooled men who had been with Jesus. And that word, when translated, is idiotas, idiots. <laughs> ah. Anybody ever felt like an idiot? It's like, oh, my God. So, so they call them idiots. Like, 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 but the mark. The, the thing that marked them was not their education, it was not their pedigree, it was not their background, it was the fact that they had been with Jesus. It was the fact that they looked like Jesus, they talked like Jesus, they acted like Jesus, they, they, they not only had the words on the outside, but they had the word on the inside. There was a movement within them that began to start a movement outside of them. And Jesus was the beginning of that movement. And that's why when Jesus died, the disciples were so distraught because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was the solution. He was the movement. And to see him on the cross, crucified, die, and then be buried, they, they thought their hopes had been lost. They had given up all that they had ever had in life to follow a man that they believed was the Messiah. But if he was the Messiah, how could he die like that? They were blinded by the pain and the suffering and the, the moments Many of them had believed that he was coming to overthrow the Roman government, and that was never his plan. It was never a physical revolution, but a spiritual revolution. He was to start a movement. And then once he resurrected or was resurrected, now that assignment came to the disciples, and we just read it, to go and make disciples. So I am a disciple, and a disciple makes disciples. And I know there are some of you here today, you're, you're not a disciple. Maybe you are simply investigating the claims of Christ. You uh, have never committed your life to Him. You've never surrendered your life. You've never confessed Him as Lord and Savior. I want you to know you're in a safe place. You, the, I'm not talking to you right now. But those of us that have had a born-again experience, we've become born-again, made new. We are now disciples, and the disciples that we become have a mission attached with it. That there's an assignment. That there is 
Something that God has created you for, and that is that you would go and make disciples. And I know sometimes you can come to church and we, we're like, Pastor, that's great. You make disciples. We got staff. We got leaders. We have all those things in place, next steps, small groups. Listen, I'm just going to show up, and you can, but you've got to ultimately know that, that your responsibility with my responsibility together is to make disciples, to go out to reach people to equip them, and then to launch people back out. And I would have come to a passage of Scripture, John chapter 6, verse 35. It's uh, verse 35, 59 through 70. I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture here. Um, I think it's important for us to really evaluate our life. I, I've been in this series, but I've been evaluating myself. I've been evaluating our church. I've been examining myself, looking at what does it really mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to be the church? What are we building? But it, how many know before we build it, it first has to happen in us? And so I want to take you on a journey that I have been on. And today, if I were to title the message, it would be Are You a Fan or a Follower? John chapter 6, verse 35, this is the context. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's walked on water. He's in Capernaum. It's a fishing village that's on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's about 1,500 people there. And that's where we find ourselves. The crowd has left the other side and come to this place. Uh, Disciples, crowd, all the people are there. And Jesus begins uh, to interact with them. It says, then they asked him in verse 35, what must we do to do the works God requires? So they're curious. Jesus, what does it take? He said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. Salvation. That's the beauty of salvation. You cannot add anything to salvation. You can't do any good, en- or you can't do works that are good enough. You'll, anytime you have someone that talks about a scale, if I do enough good things, I'll tip a scale. No, that scale was broken. There's no way to tip the scale. We are lost. We are dying. We are going to, the only way was a spotless sacrifice, a perfect lamb, and his name was Jesus, and it's his blood that paid the price. So if you have to do something else in addition to the blood of Jesus, you're saying his sacrifice was inefficient, wasn't enough, wasn't good, wasn't insufficient, it wasn't good enough. Verse 32, he says, Jesus said to them, Verily I say to you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Come on, always, God, we, we want it. Like, come on, we want, what, what, what I find is we don't really want what he's giving, we want what we want. Sometimes those aren't the same thing. Like, God, heal me. Well, may not manifest on this side of eternity. God, touch this area. God, bless this. And, and it's like, I will, but it's not going to be the way you want it. So, so there's, there's always this tension in our faith of what we play, pray, what we want, versus the reality of what God allows us to have or gives us. And what is done in the middle determines whether we're a fan or a follower. 
Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. All of those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will drive away. For I have come from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. So even Jesus is on assignment. I always find that fascinating. All God, all man. But being all God, he still did the will of his Father. Why? Because he's the model for us. He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up in the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. So in other words, look, you're not who you really say you are. Have you ever asked a question, but you didn't like the answer, so you ask again? Um, I, you know, I've got kids, and this is the, this is the wear you down factor of kids. Hey, Mom, Mom, can, can, can I have some ice cream? No. No, okay. Mom, can I have just a little scoop of ice cream? Mom, can I have ice cream? Like, it's, it's over and over and over and over again, because the answer we got wasn't the one we really wanted. And it's inside of all of us. It's okay, but the point of surrender or not surrender is the place of decision. I, I don't understand. I don't like it, but I'm going to surrender what I want, what I think, and how I feel. And if you say, I'm not going to, I just don't accept that answer, well, then that makes your decision as to being a fan or a follower. So Jesus is here. He's actually given a metaphor of, of, of his have his flesh, because he goes into this very difficult portion of you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, that's very difficult. That's like cannibalism. Well, he wasn't talking about literally going and cannibalizing his body. It's a metaphor. And so he's given this symbol that's a metaphor. And then look at what they respond in 42. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came from heaven? Have you ever had someone give you an answer you didn't like and then minimize them? Right? Because if I minimize you, see, at first they're like, hey, tell us. Remember what the question, hey, tell us, what is it going to take? I mean, come on, what does God require? What's the work of God? What is required? Well, see, they're all hungry until he tells them an answer they don't like. Now they minimize him. I know you do miracles, but you're just... So, I mean, it plays out in church also, right? It's like, Pastor, I know you're, you're a pastor, but you just don't understand. You just, like, I know, I know that's what God's Word says, but you just don't understand the conditions of our society. Right? Because if you can minimize the Word of God and say it's not His Word, well, then I can then justify my action that goes against what He says. So we have to be really, really careful. I mean, I, I, and I think we're all tempted. I'm not, I'm, I'm talking to me. Look, there's a lot of things that I read in the Bible that are very hard to, to swallow. It's like, oh my God, did you really say that, God? Like, I don't really like it. I don't, like, who likes soft suffering? Anybody likes suffering? Like, that's, no. How much do we talk about it? 
We don't like to talk about it. We don't talk about blessed and highly favored. You know, I'm too stressed to be blessed. I mean, we got all these catchphrases. Give me one with suffering. God's so good, I like to suffer. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we didn't have nothing like that, but we should. We should, because that, that's the other half of the gospel. That's the other part, like crucify, I get to crucify my flesh, mm, deny myself. I mean, those don't really get a lot of hoots and hollers. Why? Because we want the one-sided. Remember, are we really in a relationship with God, or is it a manipulative relationship? Is it, God, I'll do what you want because it's what I want, and the moment it's not now, eh, you're not relevant. I'll go to a place where they don't really talk about this. So then, look, they begin to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very very truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I think he just antagonizes. You know, just kind of push the button. I think it's okay. Verse 60, on hearing it, look at this. This is the portion that, that to me, I felt the Lord really just speak to my heart. Look, look what he says. Many of his disciples said this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now, disciples, they didn't qualify the crowd. Disciples, these are those that had been following Jesus. These are those that had been doing the work of God. No doubt the 72 would have been in this crowd, those that he sends out to heal the sick. To, to cast out devils, to represent him. And so he's not talking about a crowd here. He's talking about disciples. He says, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to this, does it offend you? In other words, does the truth offend you? Then what, what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life, yet there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus had known from the beginning which ones of them did not believe and who would betray him. Think about it. So he had disciples. He knew some were really with him, some were not. Still all disciples. He even knew there was a, a traitor. Even Jesus had a Judas. Verse 66, he says, from this time, many disciples turned back and no longer followed him. At what? At truth. See, do we want his miracles or do we want him? See, because up until this point, there hadn't been a deciding factor. See, up until this point, everything he did was great. It was healing the, the sick. It was raising the dead. It was miracles and signs and wonders. I mean, my God, he turned water into wine. Come on, somebody. There ain't nothing to get mad at for that. Come on. Like, people are loving him. But the moment he began to stand up for truth, now the dividing line comes. Now he realizes, as I declare this, there will be a splitting away, a falling away. It's going to go from a crowd, from fans, right? Groupies, isn't that what groupies do? Groupies love to hang out while you're popular. And then when you're not popular, they go to the next fan and the next fan. That's why they call them groupies. Hey, they just hop, hop. It's all good. 
I'm a fan. I like it. I like it. So, so we see Jesus, it's, it's all, but, but, but when you are a follower, when you're sold out, like you got, I'm all in, Jesus. There's nothing that matters, doesn't matter if it's a good day or a bad day. It doesn't matter if I like it or if I don't like it. It doesn't matter if we're popular, we're not popular. It doesn't matter if we're growing or we're not growing. It doesn't matter if we're well-fed or we're not well-fed. It doesn't matter. Why? Because this is the only way. And when it said turn back, <clears throat> the, the words there is actually abandon. So they abandoned Jesus. And that, that word there in, in the Greek is actually, it's a decisive final decision. Like there are some things that are being said in society that I'm concerned about that if we don't stand up for truth, there will be no light and there will be no salt. But I'm also aware that the moment you begin to stand up for what is true, now the decision has to be made. And the people here in this passage, they had a decide, like it's too much. I'm done. And what we don't realize or what we realize now that they didn't is that this is the beginning of a movement. So... Jesus understood to have a movement, it all depends upon the followers. For us to see God move, it's not about the masses. Like, I love it. I love how our church has grown. I love what God has done. It's amazing. And even in the pandemic, we continue. I think we're up 6% through the summer from our comeback numbers, which is unheard of in the summers. And I love it. But what we also understand is movements are not made by crowds. They're made by followers and disciples. The crowd will always be around. Like there's always going to be people that want to hear more and know more, especially when God actually shows up. When miracles happen, everybody shows up. But we cannot... Believe that because they show up, they're in alignment. And I think what I realize too is that gathering together does not equal agreement. So we can gather together as a church, but it doesn't mean we're all in agreement. And if we're not careful, what will happen is you'll try to build on people that are not in agreement. Let me give you an example. So, you know, I was in an elevator the other day. I was filming uh, at the movies, which is going to happen in November. So we're so pumped. And I was in the woodlands, and, uh, you know, was, the hurricane had just happened. So the, the, the hotel is packed full of people. And I'm there, and, and I, I grab my stuff, and I begin to get in the elevator. The elevator is packed. I'm like, my goodness. I, I wasn't even thinking about the evacuees. And I'm like, man, this place is that. I mean, we were gathered in that elevator, but we were not going to the same place. Yeah, we got on the elevator and some got off in level two. I got off in level three. Some got off in four and five. See, we were gathered, but we were not in agreement. We were in the same place, but we weren't going to the same location. 
And, and here's what we know as the church, that if we think that it's just the gathering of that makes us a church, that's not what makes us a church. It's the agreement of. It's the agreement of this is God's word. It's infallible. It's changeless. I know we don't understand it all, but even all the theologians agree that though it seems to contradict, when you go back in, it does not contradict. God would use uh, 40 men to write that over the span of thousands of years, and yet it would be the infallible word of God written by men inspired through the Holy Spirit. Like that has to be an agreement that we have. Like God is good even when you don't understand, even though people die and there's genocide. Like that has to just be an agreement. Like God is good. Yeah, but I lost my house. God is good. Don't understand. My dad passed away. God is good. He's in heaven with God. Like, like I've had friends, Steve has had a couple of co-workers that have passed away from COVID. And listen, I don't want a minute. It's like God is good. They were Christians. Here as a Christian, here's how we could say that. Because this is not the end for us. It's the step into eternity. And as a believer, that's where hope comes and rises from the ashes. That's why we call them a celebration service. You ever been to a service where the person wasn't a believer that's not a celebration? So there has to be the agreement. Jesus is the only way. There's one way. Hello? One way. There's not many ways. One way. So there has to be this agreement. Agreement. And then here, here, here look at what I just want you to see. So Jesus, he turns to the disciples and he asked the 12 specifically. Look at what he says in verse 67. Hey, do you want to leave too? Do you? Simon Peter, how many love Peter? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I think that has to be our response. You know, when God saved me, 2003, February 7th, where else am I going to go? I was dying going to hell. God saved me. And I think here when we see what his response was, he says to know and to believe, that's an experience, to believe and experience God. And, and so there's this experience of, man, I was lost. I was dying. I was going to hell. And you loved me enough to save me. That's Peter's response. Now, he hadn't experienced the fullness of salvation, but he understood who he was in the presence of, the Messiah. And though they didn't understand, he said, I don't understand, but it doesn't matter. Where else are we going to go? And Jesus is testing why. Because the foundation of a movement has to be strong. I had a pastor ask me and say, hey, tell me about pastor. He said, I'm going to launch a church. He called me literally just, just probably a month or two ago. And he said, uh, can I spend? He texted me. So I don't know how he got my number, but he did. He texted me. And I'm always making time. So I made 30 minutes. So I got 30 minutes for you. And he said, hey, pastor, what's the greatest advice you would have to a church planner? I said, don't do it. <laughs> he sat there. He didn't know how to take it. I was dead serious. Don't do it. Go find something else to do. And you know what his response was? I can't. I was called to this. I said, well, then you're the right person. You need to launch this church. 
There are too many people out there trying to launch a church, but they've never fully committed to their calling. That's all Jesus is doing here. He's testing. And so the, the, the crowd leaves and the disciples stay. See, I look at it like this. He was dividing out, are we a social club or are we an army? Are we a gathering of people that have a membership and uh, like do what I say because I give to the membership dues and then I can sign up or unsubscribe or get away? No, no, no. no. It's, it's not a social club. We're an army. An army means that I'm enlisted. It means the moment I gave my life to Christ, I've joined an army. My life doesn't belong to me. I'm a soldier of God. And that's where the church is. If we're going to last in these last days, which I know God is, we're just one of many. I felt the Lord say, we got to build the army. 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 Because imagine this moment. They had done all the miracles. They had been around the miracles. So they saw the fanfare. It's not the fanfare that keeps you. It's the truth and the experience of who Christ is and him in your life. So it's all good. I mean, think about a fan. A fan is someone who is good when things are good. Like, it's like, oh, things are good. I'm good. But a disciple is a follower. It's a follower. It's like it doesn't matter good or bad, easy or hard, happy or sad. I'm a follower. And Jesus constantly went back to this mentality of a follower. Look in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. See, to be a disciple is to be a follower. So if Jesus is moving and you're not moving with him, the question is, are you really a disciple? Right? Because if he's gone, then I'm not a disciple. So it's like, where's God moving? What's he doing? I've got to be a part of it. That's what institutes a follower. And so Jesus simply used two words to recruit. Look to Peter, to Andrew, to James, and John and his disciples. He, he 13 times in the Gospels, it says, follow me. Matthew 4, 18, it says, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, but they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. And then he tells them what he's going to do. I'm going to make you a fisher of men at once. At once. They left it. So it's like, I know who is giving the invitation. Look, if they didn't know who was giving the invitation, they wouldn't have left everything. That was their livelihood. That was their, their heritage. That was what they knew. And yet they understood the power of presence that Jesus himself was inviting them to follow him. And so they had made a decision in a split moment. And, and there must have been something like, oh, if Jesus were to ask uh, the stories of him. And all of a sudden he shows up and gives an invitation. Follow me. Look at Matthew 4.21. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called to them immediately. And immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew 9.9. As Jesus went out from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And this is what I love about Jesus. He loves scoundrels and dirtbags. Thank God for that. Harlots and prostitutes. Druggies and, and those that are self-righteous. 
Like, I just, I just love Jesus because, you know, back then the tax collector would have been the dirtbag, the scumbag, and yet Jesus said, yeah, I got you too. But here's what we know. He could only extend the invitation. Matthew had to receive and accept the invitation. He went on from there, and a man, so he said, follow me, and he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. And then when the Jews asked for proof of who Jesus was, part of his answer, look at what his answer is in John chapter 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So are we a follower of Jesus or are we followers of culture? Because they're so different. And right now, things are getting worse and things are getting better. It's like the world is getting more wicked and the church is getting more spotless. There's a call to holiness. The things that you used to could do, there's really no gray. It's black or white. It's like, God, allow us to be the spotless bride that you, have, you, you paid the price for. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. This is Paul talking. Look at what he says. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And when I look at the crowd, look, they all answered the call, but still many abandoned him. Yeah, you, you guys, if, you're, if you find yourself here, it's like a personal invitation. You drove by uh, B.F. Terry. Maybe you saw us on Facebook. I don't, I don't know how you got here, but we've all answered the call. The question is, will you stay or will you abandon him? So I think maybe it never cost them to this moment. Because there were really four groups of people there. There were the religious, there were the disciples that left, disciples who stayed, and then a traitor. And so they're there, everybody's around, so if you agree with Jesus, those who have political power would see that you're in affirmation of what Jesus just said. So now that decision will cause a dividing line. What once was popular that gave you lots of uh, kudos with people, everybody, oh, you're with Jesus, come on, somebody, he's the one that heals, you think I can get around him, oh yeah, come on. But now Jesus has drawn a line that will cost them popularity, it will cost them their reputation, it will probably cost them experience and opportunity, and so now this is a dividing line. The best way to determine what matters most to someone is not to hear what they say, but to see what they do. I think that's why Jesus makes this statement. It's like we got to see. Remember, he's, he didn't come to start a social club. He came to start a movement. Movements don't take a lot of people. It just makes, takes devoted people. Fully followers of Christ, all in. I gave, I, you took all of me, now I'm asking for all of you. And then Peter's response, I just, I just love his response. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and know that you're the Holy One of God. So, so what is he saying? He's saying this. There are no other options. Have you ever noticed when you don't have an option, it's a lot harder to quit? <laughs> Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's like there, there ain't no other option. It's like, man, I, I, well, I don't know. But see, when you think Jesus is just a way, part of the way, he's the only way. There are no options. Like when you understand that, then it's like, well, no. 
I can't go this, like, this is the only way. I think the second thing to Peter, what he says is Jesus' words were the ultimate authority in their life. So here's what I want to challenge us with. Is the Bible the ultimate authority in your life? That's how come I say, look, we're not going to be pulled to one side or the other. Is it Republican or Democrat? It's kingdom. Is it critical race theory or not? It's kingdom. You see what I'm saying? The, the, the thing we realize, and as a church, what I was so grateful for, so many of, even the, the, the whole racism is a valid, valid movement that we have to continue to. The thing that I love about our church is we look like heaven. We have celebrated. And look, I want you to know if you're black, I see you. If you're Hispanic, I see you. If you're Indian, I see you. We see color and celebrate color. I'm white and I want you to see me. But more than just the color of my skin, I want you to see the condition of my heart. That it is full of the love of God, the power of God, and the grace of God. So let's not get caught into this or that. We're going to champion everything we can to make sure that we have equality. That we fight for not only race, but we fight for children. And we fight for those who are suffering overseas that are being tortured. Those are being killed for Christ. Like we, we fight for injustice in general. And this is one that we will champion and fight and continue to. And I think the greatest thing we can do to fight it is show up. Don't let that conversation cause us to get divided. People walk in our church all the time and say, I don't know, man, that is amazing. That's what heaven looks like. Look, Jesus said this. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is discovered, not decided. Is it God's word, the truth in your life? Look at Psalm 25, 5. Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are my God, my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. So I think it's important, you know, as we step up into, and and I'm going to say this, and I'm not going into them, but I do think we need to identify what are some areas of society that want to challenge God's perspective. I think we have gay marriage. Think abortion. I think the right to life, like are we fighting and championing the right of of life or gender, gender identification, like Can I tell you, if you didn't create it, you can't define it? So so are we going to go, no, you can't win an enemy. We win friends. But we can't be silent either, right? I mean, we have to say right is right, wrong is wrong, God created. You know, so we we have these social issues that we just, we're like, man, we're going to preach God's word. And when we're on a subject, if it Attaches to that, we're going to talk about it. And don't get mad at me. Right? right? Come on, somebody. Don't leave like the people say, oh, that's too hard of a truth. Listen, let's, let's dive into the Word of God together. I, I had a few things, and then we're closing. Eli, come on up. I, I just put a few statements. I just put a few statements that I was thinking about. A fan will stay when it's easier or easy, but a follower will stay when it's hard. A fan is willing to learn, but a disciple is willing to believe. 
A fan is impressed with Jesus, but a follower is transformed by Jesus. A fan believes in the Bible is a good book, but a follower believes it's the only book. I'm not, listen, I read a lot of books. I'm just telling you for the ultimate authority of truth, I go to the Bible. A fan will give up some things, but a follower is willing to give up everything. A fan will join a crowd, but a follower will join a movement. And what we have is a movement. And I'm convinced when we move into our new building next weekend, come on, we'll be there next weekend. We have our final inspections on Tuesday, so just get to the next, the new building. It'll be, we're going, all of us going to go well. There will be fans that come to church, and can I say that's okay? Just recognize that a crowd doesn't mean agreement. We're going to love people. We're going to embrace people. But we're not going to dilute the truth so that people accept us. we got to stand up for truth. You know why they'll come? They'll come here because of the miracles. Because God is moving. They know they get to a place they'll feel loved. And we're called to stay fully committed. I, there was a note, I'm going to read this. This is something that I thought, I'm going to read, I don't typically read, but I'm going to read this. It's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. It was a note that was found on the desk of a pastor who was martyred. He was forced to renounce Christ or he would face the penalty of death. Well, he refused to renounce Christ and was murdered. But the night before, he had written the following comments in his room. And this is what I want to read you. It says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I have never stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, worldly talking, cheap giving, and dwarf dreams. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first tops, recognized, praised, regarded, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, walk by patience, am uplifted by prayer, and labor by power. My pace is set, my gaze is fast, my goal is heaven, my road is narrow, my way is tough, my companions are few, my guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander at the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up. I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, preached up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes 
give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he'll have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. 